Welcome to Melly, a conversation on St. Martin history by Jonathan Van Arneman, Kyla Brown, Ralph Kempel, and Steffi Gomes. Come hear the Melly and share the Melly. Okay, uh, so my name, as Ralph said, is Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Van Arneman, um, and I don't know, I have a keen history um, or keen interest in St. Martin history. I just feel like throughout my time in college, um, I always wanted to do things that were related to St. Martin, but I wasn't able to because of, you know, lack of information or lack of data or lack of archives or being able to find these things. Um, and so, so I guess finding like-minded people who are also interested in these things, who are also trying to research these things, who are also trying to piece things together um, really has been encouraging for me. Um, and the more conversations I have with people, um, you know, I work for the National Institute of Arts. I am the uh, artist in residence there and mm -hmm. I have a lot of conversations with the youth who go there and with the the staff there and the more conversations I have the more I I realize that people really are interested in these topics mm -hmm. um, but it's just the information is not always available and so you know using this platform to really get things across that that aren't easily accessible I think is just super important okay thank you go ahead Carla Hi, my name is Carla Vaughn happy Emancipation Day to one and all um, yeah, so uh, like both Ralph and Jonathan, of course, like all of us here, I am a history nerd. Um, <laughs> and having, of course, you know, I think we all have that experience where we go abroad to university mm -hmm. and you, I mean, even from here, having a keen interest in history. But, you know, when you, you go abroad, you kind of also want this stronger footing to stand on mm -hmm. uh, that you see that so many people from other countries have uh, and, you know, coming from St. Martin, it became more of like a, we're still in conversation, like mm -hmm. history is still a dance that we're making. Um, and so here we are trying to join in on that dance to, to see what we're going to make of it. And um, yeah, it's just been good being back, uh, moved back last year. And so far I've been uh, trying to run the Unwritten Archive, which is a project run by Infomedia, which will focus on documenting the oral history of St. Martiners. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, Steffi, you go ahead. Can you hear us? Okay, so as you said, my name is Steffi and I currently live in Paris, but I'm from uh, St. Martin. I'm from the French side. Uh, so happy Emancipation Day to uh, my, my fellow Southern brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, of course, I also have a keen interest in history like, uh, like you guys. And um, I decided to connect with St. Martin from abroad by uh, taking a deeper look into history. Mm -hmm. And that uh, included reading more on history, either uh, like, like with the books I have uh, home that I borrowed to my dad and then I kept for myself, <laughs> <laughs> and also looking on internet. So uh, I started to gather a bit of information and I noticed that I could do like a um, chronological uh, freeze, like I, I could do a calendar of events mm -hmm. uh, that happened in the past of St. Martin. And I decided to share them on Instagram and also on Facebook uh, on the page on this day St. Martin or on this day SXM. Uh, so that we could collectively decide if the, these events uh, are worth um, considering as our history. Mm -hmm. So my intent is not to broadcast, broadcast history, but to uh, offer a view of events so that we could know them and decide if we want to, to mark them in our collective memory. Okay, um, so there you go, uh, <laughs> listeners and viewers, um, you know, each of us um, are actively, you know, playing our own role, and, and as for myself, well, I'm Ralph Kintab, <laughs> and um, I'm an author, now a journalist, and writer, you know, um, here on the island, and, and definitely excited and passionate to continue the work uh, that I started since, since leaving um, high school. And so today, um, I, I know that we did not necessarily uh, mention the topic of our discussion, but um, an easy guess would be, well, we're doing it on Emancipation Day, so um, it is in line with uh, today's historic and um, um, so, uh, important date. And uh, so, Steffi, we will allow you to go ahead and, and share your presentation. 
Sure. So um, I think you briefly mentioned uh, in your presentation that even though today is uh, Emancipation Day uh, on the kingdom, on the Dutch kingdom perspective, uh, the history of freedom of the enslaved people of St. Martin uh, starts before. It, uh, it starts actually, let's say, in the 1830s with, uh, with the Emancipation, uh, well, the Abolition Act uh, on the British part, so that means Anguilla, uh, that becomes a place where people from St. Martin escape. And then you also have uh, the um, Emancipation, well, the Abolition Act of the French side of France, that is on May uh, 28, 1848. And um, of course, like, there's not, it's impossible for one thing to, act, to happen on one side on the island and the other side to not, like, have, and to not have any repercussion. So that's exactly what happens. And uh, there's civil unrest uh, and like insurrection and rebellion uh, on the Dutch side because of the emancipation of the, the French side, and they're basically saying um, we, we will be as free as our, as our brothers on the northern side. So they, they choose to, to fight for freedom on their side and not simply to collectively uh, run to the French side. So that means that it's more interesting to them to stay on the Dutch side and, and have, a be have better conditions, uh, have gained a, a better status, than to go to the French side. Mm -hmm. And there are various reasons, but one of the reasons is that like the French side is simply not uh, the land of milk and honey for, for free people, for, for recently freed people. We have to keep in mind that um, in the 1840s, notably on the French side, there's a decay, there's a decline in the sugar economy. Mm -hmm. Uh, for instance, um, yesterday, I believe, or the day before, I shared um, excerpts from um, a text by French abolitionist Perrineau, who uh, carried experiments on, um, on paid labor uh, for, for slaves, for enslaved people. And um, in his writings, he also mentions that because of the dryness of the island, there's not much sugar that is produced. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the sugar made and the sugar and the rum made in Saint Martin is sold at loss on the market of Bastard in Guadeloupe. So from there, you already know that the situation is not very bright. That's in 1847 that he writes that, mm -hmm. uh, and his experiment is in 1844. So you know the situation is not great, uh, and it doesn't get better because in 1849, so a year after the French abolition. Uh, the um, the um, estate owners of the French side write to the French Assembly, to the French National Assembly, asking for financial aid to fight against the decay of the, the sugar industry of Saint Martin. Mm -hmm. So basically, things are not going good. When when uh, slavery wasn't abolished as yet, the enslavers had an obligation to distribute food to the enslaved, and also um, the the enslaved people had a parcel on the plantation that was destined to grow food. Okay. After the abolition, the slaves would, the enslaved, well, not the slaves, well, the, the recently freed would either create communities of freed people or stay uh, where they were next to where they continue to work after abolition. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, let's say that the, the work market is not very open. So, and people from St. Martin are, are still going, living for Anguilla, to St. Thomas, or, or to I, other islands. So all of this is to say that, um, yes, the, the, the people from the Dutch side could uh, decide to, well, they could decide to flee to the French side, mm -hmm. but once they arrive there, they, they're not granted like the economic uh, conditions to better their situation. And um, one, what's, what we have to uh, keep in mind is that freedom is essential for you to have the possibility to design better conditions for yourself, wow. but it does not automatically grant you with fa favorable material conditions, mm. especially <laughs> if like, the power structure mm. remains unchanged, you know? So basically, I, what, what we have to like, keep in mind is like, like, how free are you if you're starving, you know? Mm. So, yeah. Okay, 
Um, those were some um, tweetable quotes you just mentioned <laughs> before you ended up. <laughs> How free are you if you're starving? Wow, that's very powerful. Um, and, yes, uh, actually, I, I was paraphrasing um, a quote from Angela Davis. Let me find it for you mm -hmm. to say it the correct way. No problem. And uh, I read it uh, in the time I was uh, researching for, for abolition of the French side. And I found it very interesting. It's, it says, the idea of freedom is inspiring. But what does it mean? If you are free in a political sense but have no food, what's that? The freedom to starve? Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, very important is the fact that, you know, um, in addition to that, you know, you had um, individuals who were who would flee to neighboring islands such as um, St. Kitts, Angola, because of, you know, the fact that even in the British islands, uh, or former, some of the former uh, British islands, you know, they received emancipation before. But we also saw uh, an already, even in that period, we also saw a decline in slavery uh, with uh, difficulties in, um, just the upkeep of maintaining slaves, the introduction of um, uh, you know automation and and um, you know mechanical engines and so forth, in the production of um, you know rain crops and so forth. So um, as before, we continue with Carla um, or Jonathan, whichever you are more comfortable. One of the things I forgot to mention is the fact that in our discussions, we talk about the progression of emancipation, um, starting with the Haitian Revolution, for example, Haiti, which received its um, independence, and not just emancipation on um, July 1st, uh, no, sorry, January 1st of 1804. Um, you know, that, that inspired so many um, revolts and movements in America, as Latin America, in, um, in the rest of the Caribbean, to the extent where Haiti even played a, a very in influential role in helping Venezuela get its independence by providing soldiers, um, resources, money, and so forth. So um, what, we, what do you guys have to say on, on, on that topic before we continue? Yeah, definitely. I think it's super important to put uh, St. Martin's emancipation um, within the context of what was happening in the broader scheme of the Caribbean. Um, you know, so it's like it starts off in, in Haiti in 1804, and Haiti, shout out to Haiti as, you know, the, the only free black republic at this point. Um, and then we have Dominican Republic that comes soon afterward, and then the, the Gran Colombia, which, which are now countries of Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, like all of these things are happening around us. And so it's kind of like this domino effect. And mm -hmm. it's really important to understand that, um, you know, the French, the Dutch, the British, everyone is weighing the cost because slavery at its core is an economic institution Correct. you know so it's like it's not really about human rights per se it's more about what makes more economic sense Correct. like do i emancipate now and have to pay more money or do i emancipate later or you know like what what how does it how does it weigh in terms of the the grand scheme of our economy and mm -hmm. not so much in the grand scheme of of people's human rights um and so the Dutch is very late. Um, the Dutch doesn't emancipate until 1863, yeah. even though we see, you know, all of this strife happening in St. Martin, as Stiffy was saying, uh, in 1848, when the, when the, when the, the northern side, the French side, uh, emancipates. And, you know, so it's like, it is this, this domino effect. It is these politics of larger countries playing out in smaller countries. And we're seeing, you know, I mean, even today we see that, uh, how situations abroad, um, you know, in, in our colonial mothers, mm -hmm. um, how they affect the situation on the island. Mm. Um, would you like to touch on that, um, Carla? Yeah, I think one important thing is then to, with, with the Haitian Revolution and the revolution that then inspired is to recognize also the agency of free black persons mm -hmm. and uh, of all within the region and the fact that you know, both uh, free and enslaved black persons acted on as seafarers, right? Mm -hmm. On boats going island to island, whether on their own accord or uh, by having to do so for work. Um, and we're spreading the news and spreading the message and trying mm -hmm. to help each other and unite families, spread information. And I think that's something that carries out throughout the entire history of the Caribbean, right? You see mm -hmm. that a lot, especially in the, you know, really the birth of black intellectual thought in the region. The fact that 
seafarers play such an important role in spreading the message. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And uh, for those of you who may just be tuning in or listening, uh, you're listening to Mele, a conversation on Samaritan history. Uh, we, know, we know that Mele is a, a, a term that has a different connotation, but we, we wanted to put a spin on it. And as Steffi, as Steffi said, uh, we wanted to be historical. <laughs> So that we are. Um, so to continue, um, also to let you know, you know, each of us uh, basically prepared uh, uh, a topic really in relation to 1848 to 1863, um, where emancipation and the developments within um, that period is concerned. And so we have Jonathan who will continue. Sure. So I'm really interested in the idea of collective memory and how a nation decides what they will remember and in what way they will remember, you know? And so mm -hmm. um, in the national account of St. Martin's emancipation, in 1863, the governor at the time, who was uh, Lieutenant Governor Van Itzinga, um, if you read the letter that he wrote to, I guess, document the events of that day, he talks about how, um, you know, they had a church service at the Methodist church right. and everybody was really happy and wearing like all of these vibrant colors. And then he read the proclamation that, um, you know, the slaves had been emancipated and then everybody was happy and they were singing like, thank you, governor, for our freedom. And it was real like exemplary. Mm -hmm. um, attitude of how you know emancipated slaves should behave so it was like is this idea of like i feel like i keep hearing this story of saint martin people especially dutch side being like non-violent being non-confrontational mm -hmm. being peaceful you know they're not willing to protest they're not willing friendly to island. you know the mm -hmm. friendly island they're not willing to get up into people's faces to prove any kind of point and it's like here their freedom was just handed to them in 1863 mm -hmm. and they were just so thankful to the dutch for giving them their freedom and so it's like that's the official account um and so i really wanted to push back against that myth of the happy negro um because it really is a myth. Because if you look at the the um, the official account, it's like you see that and, and you hear things of like um, quotations of like, okay, so there's a, a book called Life and Adventures in the West Indies where this guy in, the, in 1914, he comes to St. Martin and he's like traveling all around the island and then he goes to the French side and he's like, wow, um, the quote is, in both settlements, the civility of the Negroes was noticeable as compared with the anglicized islands. Neither did the black subjects of these two nations beg. Um, and so he's saying like, oh, you know, the black people in St. Martin, like, they're so happy and they don't beg. And, you know, compared to the British islands where everybody is so mean mugging and like, mm -hmm. it's like St. Martin was portrayed as this place where you could go to forget about your white guilt. You know, it's mm -hmm. like when you go there, you forget that we put black people through so many things and you could just, you know, be a free person because the black people, they're not harassing you and they're not like reminding you of everything that you did to them. And it's this really disgusting um, portrayal of St. Martin's people, you know? And so I kind of wanted to dig further to see, like, okay, what other accounts do we have? Um, and we have a lot of other accounts. Um, so, I mean, in 1830, so this was before um, the, the emancipation on the French side. In 1830, there mm -hmm. was a massacre in Marigat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, both um, black people who had been freed already, um, you know, in St. Martin, it was possible to obtain your freedom Correct. through different means. We won't really get into that. But, you know, there were some freed black people on St. Martin in addition to the enslaved populations. Um, and so there was an uprising of both freed and enslaved populations. And to quell that, there was a huge massacre in Marigat in 1830. And so it just shows you, like, people were willing to fight. Mm -hmm. um, in several accounts, it shows that people were constantly escaping to the British islands. They were going from St. Martin to Anguilla. And so it's like people were running. There were also um, cases of 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 St. Martiners poisoning their um, their enslavers, you mm -hmm. know. So it's like that was happening too. Um, and then uh, in 1848, the lieutenant governor at the time, uh, Johannes Willem van Romont, um, he sent to Curacao for additional Dutch soldiers to suppress the outbreak of freedom. So it's like. After Frenchside got their emancipation, the black people on the Dutch side was like, impossible, the northern side is going to be free, and we are not. Right. So everything broke loose. Like, <laughs> everything broke loose, and the, the Dutch were forced 
they were forced to give the people on the Dutch side their freedom mm -hmm. ahead of the 1863 date. They were forced, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like that completely goes against everything that says that St. Martin is like a pushover, that St. Martin will never fight for their rights, that St. Mm -hmm. Martin will... Um, you know, do as they're told. And as so we it's see like, now. As we see now. Yes, exactly. As mm -hmm. we see now. And so it's really important that in our official accounts, we are not just eating this up, you know? Like, we need to make sure that we are really questioning um, the, the collective memory mm -hmm. of our own history because a lot of the times what's being portrayed, like, if you, if you read that letter from uh, Lieutenant Governor Van Itzinga, like, he portrays himself to be, like, this great man who was, like, giving the people their freedom and mm -hmm. everybody mm -hmm. was happy and kumbaya and, like, all of these things, you know? And it's just like, no, <laughs> that, that was not the case. That was not the case at all. Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, that's that's what I really wanted to take from this this moment in history. You know, these fifteen years was was very very tumultuous. Um, and it yeah it was it was tumultuous. Okay, you said some things I just like to touch on. Um, um, definitely in terms of you know that happy Negro concept because you know at the end of the day, slavery was evil. Period. And um, in different ways, you know, uh, we learned that you know the enslaved would find ways to to revolt, to kick back, whether it's run up to run up and become maroons, um, whether it was destroyed actual property, um, um, destroy crops, burn the plantation in so many different ways, and um, that is very important. And um, a lot, so, as we go ahead and continue, I'll, Carla, you can maybe go ahead and uh, make your presentation. So. I would just like to also add, so as Ralph was already saying before, um, and that we discussed amongst each other, it's the fact that, you know, after the show, we'll also make sure, because we realize that a lot of the issue is the fact that, you know, we don't have access to sources. So we'll be making sure after each episode mm -hmm. to share some sources for people to look into. And just a note on that, um, it came to mind, and it slipped my mind, <laughs> uh, but as you mentioned that, I'd also like to mention one of the, the things that we battle with in, in and digging through our history is that a lot of sources are destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, also note, as Jonathan was saying, that it's, it's, you have to be careful how you read history, especially when it's not coming from you. Because the tale of the colonizer and slaver, etc., would be much different from the tale of the one of, of those who endured that. And, and it, Carly could even touch on that. I know yeah. you've spoken about that often. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you can go ahead and make your presentation. Yes, because we were talking about it amongst each other. Yeah, and yeah. It's the fact that you know a lot of times you have to realize that the history books that we receive are written off of letters that are written by governors uh, and different colonial officials to the Dutch kingdom. And so what are they trying to do? They're trying to show that they are these holy great men who are doing these amazing things mm -hmm. for this land that belongs to the Dutch. And so they write their letters in that tone. And mm -hmm. we were joking about it the other day, but it's very true that a lot of times you find the true accounts of history in the letters that they end up writing to their wives or to their brothers mm -hmm. or to other family members. Because really in the colonial archive, what you find is people's justifications of themselves Correct. to make sure that they remain in power, to make sure that you know they're seen favorably favorably by mm -hmm. the Dutch kingdom. So it's really important sometimes then for us to keep that in mind, even when we read the history books that we have written about St. Martin now, you know, when right. you go and see where the line that you're reading is quoted to think, you know, what exactly was the purpose that that person was writing that letter mm -hmm. for? Mm -hmm. My bit is about emancipation through a kingdom lens, and it's to try to understand uh, the emancipation of enslaved persons on St. Martin against the backdrop of the kingdom uh, and also within the Dutch Leeward Islands. And it's just to give us more of like a overview because in thinking about it, I thought, you know, how is it that St. Martin didn't pressure necessarily the Dutch kingdom for emancipation even earlier, knowing mm -hmm. that we had this border with the French side? Uh, it obviously had to create some tension, I thought, in looking into things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what we have basically in the four decades prior to 1863 is a very profitable plantation system going on in Suriname, still profitable in Curaçao, but basically on the other islands, it's kind of falling apart. It's not proving as economically profitable anymore. Um, and so combine that with the fact that British emancipation came in the year 1834, uh, for the Dutch Leeward Islands, it proved a much more different situation than for Suriname and the ABC Islands. Mm -hmm. Because basically from the proximity to British islands that the Leeward Islands had, 
uh, it made runaway uh, running away to other islands much more easier than for these other colonies that the Dutch had. Mm-hmm. And so you already see uh, very early on from year from two years before British emancipation, so in 1832, you already have a lot of letters from the governors on Seba Station, St. Martin, sending letters to the colonial, uh, to the governor general in Suriname saying, you know, something's got to happen because, you know, everyone's going to run away to the British colonies. Uh, and basically the entire time, all the cries from Stacia, St. Martin, and Seba are falling on deaf ears in Suriname because things are so profitable there. They really cannot imagine emancipating such a small group for the amount of economic gain that they're receiving in Suriname. And at the same time, uh, in Holland in 1848, they kind of start to say, you know, they're feeling pressure from other European co- uh, countries, and they're saying, okay, what happens if we uh, emancipate now? And at that point, the Dutch government was saying, we don't have enough money to pay all the enslavers for these persons, and so, you know, let's try to hold off as much as possible. And so at this point, then, you know, trying to say, okay, that's what's happening in Suriname and Curaçao. Now, what's happening for the Dutch Leeward Islands and the Leeward Islands in general? Because we're so close to each other, of course, running away to uh, British uh, islands was easy. And, of course, you had for the same for British emancipation and French emancipation that Mm -hmm. the government said, you know, once a person reaches our shores, they're free. We're Mm -hmm. not returning anybody. Um, And at this point, persons on Stacia, St. Martin, Seba are saying, okay, if we free uh, these people, you know, what what does that mean for us? At that point, it was actually cheaper for them to help these enslaved persons run away to other British islands Mm -hmm. than it was for them to manumit them because you had to pay so much taxes to the colonial government. And at that point, that's the only time that the governor general in Suriname kind of says, okay, let me help you a bit and let me cut that price in half. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's how it became cheaper to grant someone their freedom than to help them escape, which... Yeah, it, it didn't necessarily turn a tide on all the islands to start uh, manumitting persons, but it did change things. Mm-hmm. Already seeing within the region what was going on with persons escaping to the British islands, mm-hmm. it was then a no-brainer, as we said, that on an island with a shared border Correct. that people would not run away, right? Mm-hmm. At this point, and it's, of course, uh, what Jonathan and Ralph have already said, we have to also recognize the agency that our people had you know they were not just waiting for things to happen and as they heard of the developments that were happening on the French side basically enslavers started to see the risk to their own lives and to their property and realized that they could not continue to maintain the system of slavery it mm-hmm. just it would not be feasible for them uh, and so there is a letter dated June 20th 1848 that was sent by the enslavers on s- the south side of St. Martin writing to the governor saying that as of August 1st, 1848, enslaved persons would be treated as hired workers on the south side of the island. And so once this letter was sent, it was basically fallen upon deaf ears. Uh, the governor general in Curaçao and the minister of colonies uh, within the Netherlands basically acted like, you know, they didn't know what was going on in St. Martin. If you guys want to do that with your enslaved persons, yeah. go ahead. But we're not going to say anything. And at first, Seba and Stacia actually said that they were going to do the same thing. Uh, but in the end, they didn't follow through. And so it was only St. Martin that was um, practicing de facto mm-hmm. emancipation. Mm-hmm. And and so um, eventually, when uh, the kingdom decided to emancipate uh, for the date of July 1st, 1863, That's kind of when they tried to shaft the uh, enslavers on St. Martin by saying, hey, you guys sent us this letter and you guys said that you already, (laughs) you know, made everyone hired workers. So technically we don't have to compensate you for losing property. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they were still compensated, which, of course, we all know that that's completely wrong. They shouldn't be compensated in any form for doing this to human beings. But um, in the end, they tried to they did show proof that they had acknowledged what was going on in St. Martin, right? They were just pretending like it wasn't happening. And so for me and going... Interesting (laughs) comment. And so for me going... uh, In ending all of this, I also posed the question of why we choose to celebrate July 1st, uh, 1863 as the date of emancipation for uh, the south side of the island. Because, again, 
for me individually, I think July 1st, 1863 celebrates a, a kingdom uh, event. You know, mm -hmm. we're saying this is when the Dutch kingdom decided to legally grant us mm. this. Um, but the date of July 1st removes the history of the interconnectedness between the Dutch side of St. Martin, the French side of St. Martin, and the region. And it also removes the narrative of the fact that we were a threat to the enslavers on the island. You know, it wasn't, we were not sitting idly by yeah. waiting for freedom to yeah. fall into our laps. Yeah. We posed that threat, and we did that since 1848. And I think that, you know, in... Uh, acknowledging a date like July 1st, we are also erasing, you know, the agency that our people held then. Wow, that, that, that was wonderful. <laughs> you said some things there that were very powerful. Once again, sorry, um, I was saying it goes directly with what Jonathan was saying about the Happy Negro, you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we leave July 1st, 1863, at the date uh, on which we were granted freedom, uh, erases like, like, uh, Carla said the fact that no, we weren't, we weren't, we weren't happy Negroes. We were actually actors of our own destiny. Mm. And um, so yeah, it's a problem if we if we don't uh, acknowledge uh, the relation between May 28, 1848, and uh, the, the letter uh, Carla mentioned sent uh, at the end of the month of June 1848. Um, I'll also mention. I noticed that we we got a couple questions on the um, Facebook live so uh, I'll allow for some room before we end off I guess we could um, answer or touch on those two questions there were one there was one about you know our thoughts on I guess you know the economy or businesses allowed to open on Emancipation Day and then there's one that just came in in, in addition to that going back to what Carla said uh, one of the things that I think is, is so powerful again is just the factor of our shared border and this is something that is so unique in the whole region because while Hispaniola has that with Haiti and Santo Domingo, um, their their tale or, or story was still a bit different from ours because um, mm -hmm. in his in Hispaniola's case, um, we see where he um, Toussaint Louverture eventually took over the whole island mm -hmm. until the Dominican Republic uh, got their own independence. Mm -hmm. But also um, the fact of travel. Travel in a region, that is something that has been going on for years, for years, and, and, and so in, in, um, in, intensely, because you see where um, even today, where St. Martin, we, we speak of it as a multicultural society with people from all over the world, but even in these days, uh, you had, um, even we, we had people who would um, leave St. Martin, go to Antipola, um, go as far as maybe Panama, South America, the United States, some who were probably able to go to Europe, and um, today, you know, we're in a situation where, you know, with travel restrictions, with where we see our border closing, you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's history coming alive again, mm -hmm. where, you know, we have so many questions to answer. I think as we, the more we go back and, and look at, at the, um, the um, how, how these things are constructed, you know, we can probably uh, share a, a more, um, you know, probably just give a more insightful thought on, on what's happening today. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, before we get to some of the questions I see here on the on the Facebook, um, what I wanted to touch on, um, which is uh, something that's very dear to me, is a formation of a nation. Uh, I, I didn't mean to rhyme, but <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> the formation of a nation or creation of a nation within a colony, because you know Saint Martin is not an independent island either side. Uh, while um, to extent we have been granted uh, autonomy um, politically, um, you know we're we're still colonies. And uh, what I found very interesting with all that you guys said was that during that period um, where we see that because of that shared border, because of that commonality which we have, you could not mess with one side and not affect the other side. Mm -hmm. And so what's beautiful about that is this, which I'm about to share, which is something that is quite common at that time, where um, the late Alberic uh, uh, Richard, um, I saw in a book, The Making of an Island by Jean or Jean Glasscock, um, which is a history book about St. Martin, shared how he spoke about his grandfather, Francis Richard, who was a slave, mm. um, and who was enslaved, rather. Um, and he escaped um, during 1848 to the north side, where he bought land in St. Louis. And what's interesting about that is the fact that the events like this show us that... Um, uh, strengthening of our connection because uh, enslaved individuals also from 
from the north side or the south side would work on either side of the island. So you would have people who uh, would reside um, in Marigot probably, but then their owners would, their owners or enslavers would, would put them to work in the Great Bay Salt Pan. Mm -hmm. And what we know about human, uh, human culture and just the way we socialize is that that is how you begin telling stories. That is how you begin sharing your emotions, your thoughts, and uh, and and this is these are the events where you see that building of sim that's the Saint Martin identity because there there was a devotion to this land. Even as there were those who went away, many still came back, or or at least they would contribute through remittances. Um, you know, in, in the work that they find in other islands. And in addition to that is, I remember interviewing, and I wish I remember her name, um, an elderly lady a few years ago before she passed away. Um, she was 97 years old at that time. And she shared with me, you know, the fact that she, her parents met through the pathways and the hills. Like her, her, her mother was from French Quarter and her father was from Dutch Quarter. And what I find interesting about that is that there are so many, there are so many instances of that mm -hmm. where, you know, relationships were created, um, you know, between uh, people from both sides of the border. And, and we say border, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, we don't have a border. The only difference is the language, to an extent, <laughs> because we, we and, and the political structure, because our way of life is the same. We share the same last names, at least some of us, <laughs> you know, and so to see how you know after after um so after receiving emancipation where you know saint martin people decided listen um saint martin was not um as prosperous as it was because of, of various uh, a myriad of reasons and so the, the plantation owners most of them left um there was no investment from holland nor france per se to help develop the island there thankfully we had like um the the not nurses um the nuns, the Catholic nuns, who helped build schools. And, and while there were many school developments, whether with the hospital and one or two roads or so forth, the development of St. Martin rested upon its people mm -hmm. with our jollifications. And that is, and, and for me, I just find it so wonderful how we were able to grow and rise up of that um, depression um, economically spiritually i mean but also just that traumatic experience um because i think sometimes we forget that you it's with some of us your great great grandmother your great grandmother was a slave you know and they are they are the ones who uh, you know they procreated and made children and they're, they're passing on everything they learned they felt from that period onwards mm -hmm. and so we have to really um appreciate um, some of the things that our parents go through, that our, our grandparents go through, because while there are uh, practices, beliefs that we disagree with, I think it's important to understand that what it was, what it, what it came out of. Mm -hmm. You know, it came out of being having your identity stripped, being whipped. Um, you know, and um, just the fact that we were still able to to have love for one another, to the the, the bond that we created, is something quite beautiful. And that is that is my bit. <laughs> Before I start preaching, so. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was beautiful. Uh, but I would like to go to the questions. Um, we got two questions, and and then um, we we could wrap up after that. Uh, one of them, and I, okay. So this one's from Jacques Hinskerk. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so his question is: um, What are your thoughts on today's development, where mandatory holiday to celebrate Emancipation Day is less important because the minister allows businesses to open half day? Isn't this a form of modern-day slavery? And your, your thoughts? So I will answer the question, but before I answer the question, I just wanted to touch super quickly on what Carla was saying. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of um, the enslavers being paid by the governments, just mm -hmm. for those who are curious, on the Dutch side, um, every person was worth 100 guilders. Not 100 guilders in terms of today's money, but in terms of the money in 1863. So mm -hmm. you have to take inflation into consideration. Mm -hmm. So for some um, a better understanding, 100 guilders in 1863 is worth about $840 today. Um, and so every person on the Dutch side was worth 100 guilders. And for the other uh, members of the Dutch kingdom, it was worth 200 guilders. So as Carla was saying, because the people of St. Martin were emancipated before 1863, uh, the enslavers were then penalized for kind of like, you know, letting their property go free. Um, 
So, uh, and on the French side, it was 50 francs per person, mm-hmm. and I could not find what that would convert to today. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's 50 francs per person in, 18, in 1848 uh, money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's just a heads up. And then um, I also wanted to touch on, you know, in terms of the official story, like why would someone want to construct something that is not as it as they're saying there it is um and i also think that has directly to do with you know future reparations it's like if we can paint the idea that slavery was not as bad on saint martin as people portray it to be Mm -hmm. then that kind of like throws a wrench in the whole talk of reparations because it's like what are you being reparated for like Mm -hmm. you guys had it good you guys were getting free food like you guys you know so it's like it kind of it it's covering your tracks for future you know, political reasons. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, so Martin didn't have it so bad. We didn't, you know, the colonizers left. We got to do what we wanted. We build our own destiny. Like, there's there's no case for reparations. And so it is very strategic in terms of the collective memory and the collective story. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then to get to Jacques' question, a lot of thoughts, Jacques. A lot of, a lot of thoughts. Um, I mean, truthfully, um, I mean, like, I understand the whole economic situation of St. Martin. I understand the fact that um, you know, we are going through an economic crisis right now. People need to open. How much business they would actually make on Emancipation Day, I don't really know. But, you know, I understand the whole economic appeal for it. But I also think that there should be more of a reverence for Emancipation Day, given the importance of this day. Mm-hmm. And I also think that there needs to be more of an education campaign Correct. in terms of people need to understand why the day is so important. Correct. It's like, you can't say, okay, everybody has to close on Emancipation Day, and then it's like, everybody just sitting in their house. So it's like, whether they should be sitting in their house or making money, like, obviously people are going to choose to make money. Mm-hmm. The point is, people need to understand, okay, if I'm not going to be working, what should I be doing instead? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the instead is what people don't really get. It's like, you people have to understand, like, what happened on this day? Why is this day important? Again, having to do with the collective memory. Collective memory is not something that just happens. We do not just have a culture. You have to work at constructing a culture. You True. have to implement things that will teach people about importance about history about relevance and so it's like i think it's a lot deeper than like whether or not things should be open or closed i think it needs to be more of like okay things should be closed and here's why this is the way that we are going to um observe you know exactly It, it needs to be a bit more broader than that and that's my two cents Okay. And I think uh, building off of what Jonathan was already saying and in terms of trying to ask ourselves what this day is about, I mean, I think Emancipation Day for me really comes down to economic choice, right? And I mean, I can't necessarily comment on whether businesses should be open or not, but it's for individuals to ask themselves, you know, I mean, you move out of a system of slavery, right? You're, you're, you're emancipated from this. And now we find ourselves in capitalistic societies and mm-hmm. we have to ask ourselves, or asking ourselves today mm-hmm. on July 1st, 2020, whether we have the economic choice to open our business or not mm-hmm. to work, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, are we, wh- how much choice do we have within our capitalistic system of today? Like how much freedom do persons across all economic and social groups have to not work on a day such as Emancipation Correct. Day? And those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves as a society. How much are we you know, giving to our people and providing for our people and for each other to allow yourself to have economic choice? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I will uh, allow Sefi to speak. But I want to mention something she, she said earlier about, you know, um, freedom when you're hungry, you know, because mm-hmm. um, Emancipation Day is a very important day. Um, and for someone like me, you know, my, my parents, um, both my parents are from Haiti. So, you know, emancipation and, and um, like when we celebrate our Independence Day, that's, that's a major thing. It's something heartfelt mm-hmm. because you're like, it's it's just ingrained in you. Like, listen, like we're, we're the first black independent people, you know, to celebrate through and our ancestors, they fought off the colonizer. And, you know, so I think that 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 and ener- that sense of energy and, and reverence um, is something we have to build. And what makes it a, probably a little complicated is the fact that this instrument is also diverse. Not to be frank, July first doesn't mean the same thing for everyone on mm-hmm. St. Martin. Um, and Steph, I don't know if you want to um, chime in on that. 
Well, what I would say is that I tend to not uh, blame people, but more structures. And mm -hmm. like Jonathan and Carla said, um, the problem is um, education, and the problem is economic means. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, we can talk about um, working on a holiday such as July 1st, but um, for me, it's not the, the people that are the that. Well, if you have, if we have, if we we have to blame someone, it wouldn't be the people. Mm. Uh, so that's that. And also, if we're really uh, educating the people about July first, then we are educating ourselves on it. Mm. And then we see that July first, as we mentioned before, is not um, true to uh, our own battle for freedom. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> ideally, <laughs> my, my, like, my point of view ideally would be to, to see what is the true date mm -hmm. of freedom for uh, the southern side of St. Martin, educate the people about it, and make festivities uh, about it. Mm -hmm. And ideally, that would happen in a world where we provide for our, our society. So, yeah, but maybe I'm just a dreamer, right? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. And, and building on Steffi's point, I think that that's a question that St. Martin needs to ask on a lot of fronts, you know? It's, you, you, you know, we have an emancipation day that's set at the kingdom level, and at no point are we asking, but what does it mean for us here in St. Martin? Mm -hmm. What do these words mean for us? Are we going to take de facto or de jure emancipation? And these are questions and discussions that we need to be having in, you know, the broader community, and hopefully that's what we're doing right here and right now but you know across the front what does it mean to not have you know your own history taught to you in your classrooms mm -hmm. you know these are all questions that we need to constantly ask ourselves who is our curriculum made for who's it geared to mm -hmm. who's it raising you know and these are things that we and who writes it yeah exactly and uh, you know these are questions that we're, <laughs> we're really you know I think lacking here or in a sense that we ask them and then you know the action falls through but we really need to start asking ourselves what do certain terms holidays ministries mm -hmm. mean for us here correct um, we just have about 10 more minutes uh, so time flew by real quickly um, there's a question here I would like to touch on so I guess Probably one or two of us can touch on it because I, I know it. That in itself is a lengthy um, discussion. But um, we have a comment here from Miss Rich, which is um, Attorney General uh, Attorney Herod Hatzman, the dean of the local bar association on the southern part of the island, said the following: Holland feels responsible for XXM, like a parent towards a child with Down syndrome. But again, Holland does not benefit from St. Martin in any form or shape. This comment revolves around the Dutch intervention at the Porn Blanche prison. Prison. Any thoughts? So, uh, I guess for a little back uh, backstory on that, um, you know, our, our prison um, after Irma was destroyed, and well, it has been in bad conditions even before. So, um, there's actually recently a, a case where the Indian Association sued um, the government because you know the conditions in the in Point Blanche prison. And so there was a motion passed yesterday as well um, by um, the Twitter camera, basically um, a motion that called for intervention of Holland in managing our prison. So, Okay, I won't necessarily comment on the prison, mm -hmm. um, but I think that, I mean, all of this fits into like this broader narrative, right, of how the Netherlands, government, people, whatever, see people in the Antilles. Uh, and they have a particular idea that's supported by their media system, by their politicians, of a particular idea, and this idea of the Antilles and the islands being children. Mm -hmm. It's constantly a narrative that's being replicated mm -hmm. through different means. And mm -hmm. by far, you know, this is just a new one. And mm -hmm. I think that it's in ways in which right now here we're sitting acknowledging the ways in which history is twisted for a particular gain and to write a particular story that allows you know a country to still feel as if they can govern or say things in a certain way towards others and Correct. you know i'm not going to say that our prison doesn't need help <laughs> no our prison it, needs it, help. it does need you know help, but yeah. it's it's the manner in which the conversation happens and mm -hmm. the fact that we're not treating each other like equals at the table and Correct. The, that constantly our officials are not being treated as equals to their dutch counterparts and mm -hmm. those are the questions that we really need to get at and i think that 
as a society, we need to acknowledge that, you know, we can't just say, hey, we're equal because it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. You have to acknowledge the visual representation that's happening of people that basically skews and already allows, you know, it, it's as we're, you know, seeing with the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you see a particular group constantly depicted as a certain way, that's the way that group gets treated, mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, the only way to rectify that is to make sure that we have, you know, we're changing the representation and the way that we're seen as a people and as an island and we have a lot of work to do and it's it's not going to be easy but we're going to constantly see decisions made like this mm -hmm. if we don't change the narrative mm -hmm. um, uh, so I have one more question here um, that I'll take from the audience um, from Devon Steph I think I'll let you take a, a hit at it if you don't mind <laughs> this question is um, do you and this is a whole nother discussion <laughs> do you ever envision a time or a path when or where the Dutch and French side can unify under the unity flag we have, leave our colonial masters and be one whole country. Now, I know this is like too heavy a question to answer because we have like five minutes left. <laughs> but if you want to make a, a quick comment, then go ahead. Um, I will just say that in my in my utopia, uh, this is where St. Martin is. St. Martin is a united land with our un unity flag and English our, as our language. That would be like in my, my dream, right? Mm. But uh, then we have to remember that um, 200, 200 years of, of colonization does it like it leaves a deep uh, imprint. Uh, 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 yes, a, a deep yes imprint on who we are, how we think, uh, how we organize, as uh, uh, like how our institutions are organized. So, um, as a people, I think that we must uh, make sure that we stay united, as culture-wise, um, and just like as as a, as a country, mm -hmm. but not as a state. I, I'm I'm mm. I'm less. I'm, I'm a bit more pessimist pessimistic on the, the, the state and the institutional uh, form of unity as to the cultural uh, and maybe yeah, the cultural side of things. I For me, that. we can achieve and maintain cultural unity. Uh, it's a question of will that is easy, easily uh, uh, tackled. Uh, the question of institutions is, is a bit more heavy. Mm. I love that. I love that. Um, Go ahead. Just to take a little stab at it. I once read Daniela Jeffrey. Um, she stated something. I hope I'm not misquoting here, but um, she stated something about you know it's like you have the Dutch side government, you have French side government, and then there is like this one island government that mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. like deals with certain things that are on both parts, you know. So like all of the things that affect both sides will be dealt with with this like you know this one island government, and mm -hmm. I really like that that framework of you know, like a joint government between Dutch side and French side, uh, at least for a start, you know, because I feel like right now in terms of our imaginations, it's so hard to imagine an emancipated St. Martin, if I'm talking for myself, just mm -hmm. because of, you know, there is a Dutch side, there's a French side, the laws on the French side are very different to the laws on the Dutch side. Correct. We're in very different, um, we have very different seats at very different tables, you know, and so it's like, if this is a reality that we would like to move towards, I think we really need to start putting into place the type of structures that we would need in order to make that a a reality. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's not it's not difficult. Like one thing that we didn't mention before was that um, a lot of the same enslavers that were on the Dutch side also had property on the French side and Correct. so this idea of you know navigating two different political systems to come together as one is not something that is new or novel to us and so it's like I definitely think that we're already operating in this weird sphere of like <laughs> like being between like lots of different worlds and it's like you know the way you operate on the French side is different to the Dutch side and you know the language is different the money is different everything is different so it's like we're already here so why not create a structure that allows for us to really formalize our way of of being you know mm -hmm. and I mean it's I don't know if the political will is there for it mm -hmm. you know um, but I feel like 
in our conversation of emancipation, that is what I really think is missing because it's always like, oh, the French side must come along. Like once the Dutch side gets it, like the French side must come along because they too will see the benefits. Of, but it's like, no, like why don't, instead of repeating 1848 and 1863, you know, like wh- this time let's maybe do it differently and let's, let's try to get there together, you mm-hmm. know, as opposed to like, one in front of the other hoping that the other will follow behind if mm-hmm. that makes sense that makes sense and I would just like to um, read all these comments here um, from Mr. Patrice um, <laughs> the institutional and cognitive differences are very pronounced despite the genetic similarities and I think uh, definitely as you guys are saying we can definitely emphasize the genetic, genetic similarities um, and something like that has to be from the grassroots mm-hmm. you know um, if, it, if it's coming from the political class it's not going to work um, you know and, and, and so just as Again, like we see here, where some of us, you know, we we created families, um, you know, where they fell in love with somebody from the other side, and blah blah, you know, the family get larger, or just in terms of going over, you know, um, enjoying what each side of the island has to offer, and, and expanding your, your, your in your own personal network, you know, um, we don't just have to limit ourselves to um, um, networking sessions. Uh, in in Finnsburg, you know, we can go over over there, and 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 I think those are the ways in which we will really strengthen that that idea of a one island, one people thing. When it's one island, one people in our hearts, you know, in our spirits, the way we function. And I, yeah, I want to add to just that quickly because I think that for for me, one of the the the, the disheartening things is sometimes like if I see now like the you know the connection that we all feel to like black lives matter movement in the united states but then to think back to just a few months ago when protests were happening over on the french side mm-hmm. in october and november to see the complete disconnect of yeah, people on the yeah. dark side of the issues over on that side and yeah. i thought you know and now that i'm seeing the connection of people now to the movement i'm thinking you know how is it that we've made a world and a reality for ourselves where we can feel so much more connected to what's going on to the united states but then some of the disgraceful comments that i was hearing people say about people yeah. The friends yeah. that I, I'm thinking, you know, where's the connection? Or like, True. where's this disconnect happening? True. And yeah. it, I definitely think, like, one island, one people. It, it lives in some people, True. but not all. Yeah. It's not uniform, you know. But we have not created any institutions, any events, or anything to really speak to that reality. Mm. That's the thing. And so, you know, we kind of just let it go on through the families and through friends, maintaining right. these relations. But as said earlier, we're such a multicultural society, so many people moving in and out. You have to make sure that, you know, that throughout there is some sort of thread that lets people know, sure. you know, this is one space. Sure. If, sure. if it's going to be one cultural space, there has to be more that speaks to that than just family names and relations crossing True. borders. Indeed. And uh, on that note, unfortunately, we would have to end. <laughs> but I, I really love um, uh, what you shared there, Carla, uh, because definitely, you know, the I think even in something like that, oftentimes we care too much about, oh, yeah, but tourism and, the t- well, right now we don't have the tourists coming in. And I think now is the perfect time yeah. for every single one of us to, you know, reach out to each other because I, 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 there may be a change there. Yeah, usually when you, again, study history, you see with events like this that affect the economy, people leave. You know, it's mainly just the locals tend to stay while some leave as well. So probably this is a time for us to, you know, rekindle those old fires and, and, and really establish, um, you know, the ties and, and, and connections that we have and, and reshape our identity as a people. And so on that note, um, any final words? Just, you know, a quick goodbye before we cut out. Well, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We will be coming with more episodes. Yes. Um, but this make sure, yeah, we'll try to interact with the comments, I'm sure, later on as well. And we'll be making sure to also share some of our sources. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, definitely share sources. Uh, we really want to make sure that uh, a lot of these conversations are, are centered in, um, you know, archives and facts and not just, you know, like us talking off the top of our heads because mm-hmm. we feel like that has really taken over discourse today. And so we're really trying to come at this from a, a conversational perspective but also an academic and a research-based perspective as well so know that we are reading sources and if you have sources you'd like to recommend um, then definitely and yeah we have some some fire coming um, <laughs> definitely this is just the beginning in terms of things that we need to explore in St. Martin's history so yeah. please stay tuned yes uh, Steffi yes I will just say to remember that we have been and we still are uh, the craftsmen of our destiny so just keep that in mind. Boom. 
<laughs> I like that. <laughs> and um, this, uh, to uh, emphasize once again, this is um, the first of several. Um, yeah, so stay tuned. We're going to keep you guys posted through our social media, of course, you know, of Melee conversation as in modern history there's so much that has you know has um, transpired in our history so thank you guys for joining us and be sure to also follow on this day xxm um that is a facebook and instagram page dedicated to um a lot of events that happen on st martin and follow us right here on 98.1 pro fm for much more um you know news and information and discussions about different stuff so thank you once again um, i'm ralph kintav and join here once again with um carla jonathan and steffi and have a blessed day further happy emancipation day thank you for tuning in to this episode of melee have some comments you can write to us at meleesxm at gmail.com or on facebook and instagram at meleesxm see you for our next episode of melee and in the meantime stay curious